Welcome to the Second Success Podcast by Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. Getting clear on the mindset for repeatable success. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Second Success Podcast with me, Dr. Rakesh Rana, the Clear Coach. I've got my daughter sitting here with me and she says I need to sound a little bit more chilled and that the podcast sounds a little bit too professional for her liking. So I guess I need to relax. Uh, Well, let's see how it goes. And I just want to remind you, please do look to follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any future episodes. And I've got some great guests coming up in future episodes too. So without too much preamble today, I want to talk about my guest. Today's guest is a really good friend of mine, Calvia Baines. She defied all medical predictions of not being able to walk properly, nor to be able to have full use of her left arm, to go and complete a marathon. A huge success story for anyone. Her second success was then to go on become an author, speaker and policymaker. Her book, Not Our Daughter, The True Story of a Daughter-in-Law, was also turned into a short film. Through telling her story, Kelby gives others the courage to break through a veil of shame, thus disempowering abusers. As a volunteer for the Sharon Project, Calvary educates the younger generation on honour-based abuse and encourages them not to suffer in silence. She is also changing public policy by educating the Crown Prosecution Service, police force and health workers. Her work is chipping away at the cycles of abuse. Kelby's book and short film were launched at Ernst & Young's London offices in November 2017. I'm proud to say I think I was the first person to buy uh, a copy of her book. Kelby has since spoken at numerous events. TEDx Whitehall Women, the West Midlands Police, Hertfordshire Police, Cambridgeshire Police, New Scotland Yard and for the Home Office who invited her to speak about dowry abuse at their roadshow and to assist them in tackling these issues within the community. She has become a role model for those seeking the courage to speak out about honour-based abuse which affects both men and women in the South Asian community and she helps educate both the older and younger generations on this subject. Kelby is actively working to support the police with training on dowry and honour-based abuse and works closely with the Sharon Project, visiting schools and colleges to speak to students about honour-based abuse and the difference between forced and arranged marriage. Kelby hopes that by spreading the word of organisations like the Sharon Project, ICRO, the Iranian and Kurdish Women's Rights Organisation, and Southall Black Sisters, people will become more aware that a support network does exist that can help people experiencing honour-based abuse. To put this into perspective, this could be the difference between life and death for some people. Let's hear what Kelby has to say. Hello, Kel, and welcome to the show. Hi, hi Rakos. Thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure. It's a it's an absolute pleasure. And I've just realised that um, we're both from the Midlands, and I know my Brummie accent's going to come out as I speak to you. <laughs> yeah, more and more definitely. And mine only comes out when I do speak to somebody else from Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, what part of Birmingham are you from? Well, not. I was born in Birmingham, but uh, I'm actually from a town called Nuneaton, so East Midlands, where I think half of the town have a Birmingham accent and the other half don't. So uh, I think I was in the fortunate yeah. half. <laughs> I mustn't say that. I've got a lot of cousins that are from Birmingham. And I'm from the original black country part, so you can't go wrong there. <laughs> it's okay. Well, I can more than more than understand you, and I don't want to put off anybody that's... Uh, from Birmingham you know like I said I've got lots of friends and relatives from Birmingham so it's absolutely fine yeah uh, uh, anyway I'll have to keep that I'll, I'll have to keep that in the podcast now won't I anyway <laughs> let's carry on yeah. okay. okay look thank you thank you very much for joining me today and as I mentioned to you this is about 
second success. It's looking at people who have accomplished something in their life and taken key mental attributes and applied them to their second success and possibly even further. And that's what we want to talk about Mm. today. So in your own words, I'd, I'd love for you to describe one, how you got into retail and then beyond. And then that what you took from that and moved you to what you're doing now as a successful author, a speaker, and people are putting new social policies in place. Um, okay, so for me, it started off where, I mean, I had a part-time job in retail, and then I left, um, obviously, I was a qualified designer, and I became a designer for Marks & Spencer Supply Base. So this is when I was all through, like, college and uni was, like, my passion in fashion, and then it was where I had the part-time job in retail. So I always mm-hmm. had that as, a, like, a side little hustle thing because I knew my passion was in design. But then when I hit 26, graduated, qualified, and I was in the process of looking for a job and things like that, I ended up having, I've never had anything directly happen to me. What I mean by that is, I mean, things have happened like circumstances of my parents or, you know, how the relationship with my parents wasn't like stable at home and other things that happened but they weren't directly impact to my life if you know what I mean mm-hmm. um the direct impact I had on my life was at 26 I had a cerebral bypass surgery and I ended up losing full movement in my left side of my arm part of my left leg and basically left half of my body I just lose lost movement and again, I was fit, I was healthy, I was working part-time, I'd qualified as a designer, I was looking for a design job. What ended up happening was where I had to take a year out of my life. And, you know, again, you've gone from a moving mobile person, and then the next mm. day you wake up, you've gone in for a checkup at the hospital, I've woke up and all of a sudden, I've been told I've been in a coma for so long, I've been on a life support machine with family telling me what had happened to me and I've just completely had this blank moment in my life oh, for wow. a matter of space of a month mm. um, and when I came round, I think it didn't hit me until a couple of weeks later where a physiotherapist person came in the hospital and asked me to just just tell my mind to move my my left arm and mm. just fid- fidget my fingers I simply couldn't do it I simply couldn't do it and I remember tears just running down my face and I'm thinking what the hell and it was a reality for the first time in my life that I've got no control over my own body Mm. my mind can't even tell my body what to do right now and from there I ended up where I don't know what happened Rakesh I literally was where it went on for months for about good six months of self-pity feeling sorry for myself listening to what the doctors were telling me I was on all this medication medication for people that were you know heart attack um, tablets I was on because mm. I had a cerebral bypass so my veins had shut down on my left side of the body all of a sudden I don't know what came over me one day I just went to one of my outpatient appointments and I was told that um there's a possibility you're never going to be able to gain the movement back in your left arm. So I'd gain the movement back in my leg. Mm. I was walking slowly to the point I couldn't even, I remember my mum, the most lowest degrading point of my life was when my mum had to bathe me. Mm. And, you know, you've gone from, like I said, having mobility to no mobility at all. And I just made a decision one day, enough is enough. I'm going to stop listening to everyone around me telling me what I need to do how I need to live my life, what I need yeah. to do to get fit again, even the doctors. Mm. I was on 12 tablets a day. At the oh, beginning, it was something near 20 tablets. Mm. I ended up, 
I just put these tablets in front of me. I laid them out. I picked a bit like Skittles. I thought, which colours do I like? <laughs> I made a decision based on that, which tablets I'm going to keep in my, my day-to-day routine and which ones I'm not. And the ones I like the taste of, mm. I didn't care what benefits these tablets are giving me or not. I just made a decision, changed my medication on my own, own accord, decided I'm going to walk at the top of my road. Mm. And then I'm going to slowly start, you know, walk to the top of the road go swimming and try walking in water. Mm-hmm. I made these small steps, but I made this decision and I made them mentally before I made them in any other shape or form. Mm-hmm. And when I did, did them mentally in my head, I changed the situation from people telling me I'm not going to gain the movement. Three months later, I've gone for a mm-hmm. checkup with the same consultant who told me Mom, I've got no movement in my arm. I'm not going to have any movement unless I transfer a 12 inch vein from my leg into yeah. my arm to gain the movement. But then there was a high possibility I'll lose my arm for indefinite. Yeah. So I made the choice not to listen to no one. Mentally said to myself, I'm changing my situation. I'm not Mm. going to just be able to walk. I'm going to be able to run one day. I'm going to even run a marathon. Mm. And I just, I can't explain it to you. I just didn't take no for an answer from anyone. Not Not even medical professionals. Was that your own drive to achieve something or to prove others wrong? What was the bigger driving factor for you? Prove to myself that I can gain that movement back that I've lost, that even medically professional mm. people are telling me I'm never going to get it back. And I was not willing to settle for a no. And also that point in my life, that was my lowest point. I couldn't be pushed any further down. No matter what anyone was going to say or do to me, mm. I need to change my situation. I've had enough of being in the self-pity process for six months. Let me get up and sort my life out. And I remember yeah. I just literally, and it was me, not anybody else, me solely by myself said enough's enough. And mm. I then walked to the top of the road slowly. Again, that whole thing, my mom was still molly cuddling me, scared. Don't walk too far. Of Don't course. burn yourself out you know, and going to swimming, I remember feeling conscious of the scars, um, because I had a lot of scars on my left side of my body. Mm. And, you know, for someone who was very confident, had her self esteem, lost it all, had to gain Mm. it all again from scratch. But in the process of gaining it back, I gained a lot more than I realized. And Mm. again, it started mentally, I began with, I visioned the finishing line of me wanting to run a marathon. So that was my starting point, if you know what I mean. And Even when, so I remember um, three years later after I got better, I was, I still had numbness. I still had certain movements that I hadn't gained a hundred percent. And I made a decision and this, this stage, then I was working as a designer. I remember making a stage that I'm going to apply for a marathon Mm. and the GPs rejected me. My own, my own GP rejected me um, when I got through to London marathon. They asked me for a medical note and my GP refused me and said, I don't think you're fit enough. Actually, it was a note. It was not three years. It was a year and a half after. And he wow. said, you're not fit enough. Okay. I ended up then um, I was really upset. So then what I did was I chose to reapply the year later without mm. telling my GP. Um, no, no, no. I didn't. I, yeah. Without telling my GP, but I got rejected again. So I thought mm. I am going to run a marathon. My whole purpose was one day I'm going to run a marathon. Yeah. So in between that, what happened was, again, I've then made the decision, I'm going to settle down, I'm going to get married, my life fell apart again. But mm. this time, when it fell apart, I think the whole process with the marathon process taught me, I can turn my situation around in anything. Mm. If I could gain movement, when I was told I couldn't move, I'm not going to be able to gain movement in that left arm. And I've transferred it around. When I saw my consultant three months after the way Mr. Sims face just dropped and he went, you're a miracle. 
he was like, you're a and I told him what I did. He goes, what did you do? I goes, I changed, I dropped these tablets. I carried on with these. He goes, who, who told you you can drop your medication? I goes, I did. And he goes to me, well, whatever you've done, young lady, he goes, you've blown me off. He goes, and I'll be honest with you, you've just, you've made the decision of what you want to change. And I think it comes down to mm. what do you visualize as your end result? Yeah. And I'll be honest, what, so that was in 2006, 2012, 12 years, six years later, sorry, I ran the Edinburgh Marathon 26.2 miles later. I then wow. made a decision because I had got rejected twice and I'm not going to allow them to know anything about my medical history. And I didn't put anything in there. And I ran that and took the risk of my own accord. Mm. And again, through running the marathon, I learned so much before writing the book, what discipline meant. What mm. consistency meant, what again, what's your um, when you start at the beginning, what's your end result? What do you want? And my end result, yeah. when I started the book, I wanted change, change mm. within my community and in other communities, get other communities that don't know about what goes on in our community to understand the process. And, you know, so when you start with the beginning, if, the beginning, if you start with your end intention of what your goal is. Mm. you'll end up achieving it so when I ran that marathon and I crossed the finishing line Rocky, I could mm. not tell you how I felt and I was told six years earlier you're not going to have any movement in this left arm it's a dead arm for the rest of your life it's just honestly that is just a, such an inspirational story gave me goosebumps as you were telling me <laughs> it, it is I mean you talk about the goal of you know when I'm working with my clients we do you know it is about creating a goal sometimes people just don't have a big enough goal I mean your goal was huge considering where you were at what you'd been told you, yeah. you know you've identified this goal and you've worked your way back even to the point when you were first starting out like walking at the top of my road was like the biggest challenge mm. of my life then taking a I remember running for the first time and mm. I, I'm not gonna lie I ran out of breath I even ran I remember running with a cousin before I ran the marathon and we yeah. went for training together and she's a, a fitness she's a, a PE teacher and I stopped eight times in a three mile run mm. and I remember her saying to me you're not you're not ready for it and I was like I'm not going to listen to what anyone tells me if I'm ready for it or not wow. I'm going to listen to myself I'm going to learn to believe in myself and I think if you can believe in yourself mm. you know you can achieve anything you don't need other people around you telling you what your no. circumstances are or for, to if you start listening to the noise outside of you you're going to end up molding your life that way and believing in those people that believe things that's all that's all you are and you know I wanted to be more than that I didn't want to be having a dead arm for the rest of my life and mm. not just that I think again coming back to when we're talking about when you said about retail I started off working in retail and again I kept getting told when I was doing my degree my biggest pressure for me was as from my parents, obviously from the South Asian community, your child studying fashion, and you kept get, getting told you're not going to get a job in your degree. You're not going to get mm. a job in your degree. And for me, it wasn't just a job. I work. I was working retail for part time, and that was to gain confidence of skill sets, um, mm. build my self esteem up. But they were building me up on the route on the way of me becoming a designer. And I remember the day I got my degree. My mom was like, even though I got that degree, I remember her saying to me, the day you get a job in that degree is the day I'm going to be proud of you. Because I had family yeah. members around me that were cousins yeah. um, that had got degrees, but none of them got jobs with their degree. Yeah. And I was the first person in my family that got the degree, got the job in the degree, got the job with the number one supply base, which is Marks and Spencer's in the UK. Yeah. And I was going to my mom, it's as fine as British brand you get. <laughs> 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 Best you can taste. And literally, I never forget that. Like, 
I I think I also proved to my mum it's achievable. It is achievable because, do you know what? And I think when my mum used to stand there and tell people that her daughter was a designer, she was so proud because I not just was doing the job. I had the degree in the job. I had the experience in the retail background to support me. It was all a stepping stone when, Mm. again, I constantly kept having my mum telling me, you won't get a job. You're going to have a degree in a, um, in a field that you're not going to be able to get a job. And mm-hmm. I said, I'll trust, trust me, mom. I will get a job in my field. And she goes, she kept listing all these cousins that have got degrees, but I haven't got jobs in their degrees. Mm-hmm. So I never listened to outside noise from a very young age. I don't know if it was my stubborn personality or what. I've never listened to outside noise, Rakesh. And I think I didn't realize it more so is when I fell sick. Yeah, in 2006 that it really hit hard home to me well you know what and I think that's we look back on life and sometimes we're growing up or we're going through life and you know we're going through hardships or sometimes we think life's unfair or we look at cousins or siblings or they've got it better off and actually when we look back on our lives it's sometimes these challenging moments it's it's the naysayers in our life that actually mold us to become the people that we become the success that we gain is due to being pushed or deprived of things is what essentially gets us where we want to get to yeah because I remember when I lost my lost movement I had a lot of family members coming around and giving me the Mm. self-pity and telling me even to the point with being from the South Asian community you're never going to meet a life partner now because you've lost hope and I was like what and to be honest I turned it around and then again when I went through a situation where you know wanting to write this book I Mm. was in the again my my life fell again fell apart Mm. again because I'd gone through these earlier life experiences earlier on which I'm very grateful now that I had in my 20 when I was 26 it then again when I came home as a divorcee everybody around me was telling me that's all you're worth and I was like Mm. no I'm worth more than this I am worth Mm. more than this and I believe in myself if nobody else does I ended up starting to keep journals started to keep um right and I've got no writing skills I had a reading capability of a seven-year-old and six months at the age of 22 and again I was told you're not going to be able to do anything so I went back and did my GCSE English I got you know past my GCSE English then I went and did a creative writing course because I got an A my creative writing piece and did the creative writing course and I really enjoyed it and then I went on to writing this book Mm. and again everybody kept telling me it's not going to go anywhere you're not going to get anywhere even to the point when I first started out I've got no writing degree I've got nothing other Mm. than those little courses I did and I thought, if you're writing from the heart, that's what matters. It's not about anything else. I ended up writing this book. And I remember thinking, how am I going to write a book? It came with, like, every month I set a target of, because mm. I ran the marathon, it taught me to discipline. Yeah. So I was very disciplined. I got the consistency of writing every month. All yeah. these, the, the marathon taught me skill sets I needed to when I was doing the writing. And also, if you yeah. can enjoy your, enjoy your own company because once you're sitting in your own company when you're writing you're mm-hmm. sitting alone as well so yeah. you're training alone or you're training with a um a personal trainer there were so many skill sets at different times in my life I've taken away from life experiences which I brought into this part of my life mm-hmm. and um so anyway I did the book even when the book was published from everybody saying to me it's not going to be a success it's not going to get yeah. there no one's going to pick it up to buy it you're not even mm. going to get five people To the point where I remember, you know, and again, I didn't know how I was going to do the book launch. All I knew, Rakesh, was that I want to be able, my my goal for this was my intention at the beginning was, Mm. I think if you start with your intention, you'll know it will take you further than anything else. There's no other goal. But my intention was I want change. 
I don't want mm. nothing else. I don't want fame. I don't want awards. I don't want anything else. I just want change within our community and other communities. I got far more than what I bargained for through this journey. Mm. I ended up getting recognized on platforms. I never even thought people would even want to know me. Mm. I got people supporting me that I didn't even think of. Like, Jaswinder Sanghera is one of the women I really inspired to be, you know, who I looked mm. up to when I started this book journey. And oh my God, I met her last year at mm. a uh, police honor based conference, um, which was held with the police force and Manchester University last year. You know, I've got to work with the likes of a number of charities. Like, you know, I've shared a platform with Southall Black Sisters, the Sharon Project, Polly Harrow, um, mm. you know, Caroline Goodman, who's done the honor based case. So there's yeah. a number of people like, you know, and I never thought. I would be on those platforms with these professionals with mm. years of experience where I kept getting told, I can't tell you any rejections I had before I even got where I did. And again, don't allow the rejections to put you off. So remember your role models. So Cal, tell me something. I mean, and this is something I say to people, you know, you've got to ignore the naysayers. You've got to be strong in your convictions. You've got to be clear on your intent to go after the goals that you want. However, and like you said, you're always going to have naysayers and there's going to be days where the naysayers get to you. What do you do on those days? Always remember, like I said, what did I say? Begin with your um, end in mind. Bear in mm. mind while you're doing it. You know, you can get so caught up in the gossiping. You can get so caught up mm. with people's opinions or somebody talking down about you or slagging off, sorry, talking behind your back. But yeah. if you turn around and say to yourself, really, why did I start? What was the real reason? Yeah. Let me just switch off all this noise around me and just focus on what needs to be focused. And if you just keep your lenses on, you know, they say this, like the end goal and also the next don't even see the whole staircase and I say this mm. like don't look at the whole staircase when you're climbing it I didn't when I was when I lost full movement I wasn't looking at I'm going to look at the whole staircase and how long it's going to take me I took yeah. baby steps first was getting on the top of my road going yep. swimming and walking in the water starting to run step yep. by step it leads you there and that's the same thing I did with the book there was no you know what Rakesh I had no plan mm. I just followed my heart and I followed what felt right in my gut instinct I reached, and then I wrote the book in my own time, and I didn't tell no one I was writing it. Select, selected mm. people, a group of people. Again, keep when you're working on something, keep it close to your heart, keep it mm. close to you. Don't share it with everyone. And eventually, when I was ready, it's finished as a product. Now I know it's nearly there, done in the last year, from 2016 to 17, where I started sharing the news with everybody, mm. started generating that energy. And then I ended up by coincidence that right people came into my life, connecting mm -hmm. me with more people. And again, be open, be open for rejection, be open for the genuine people wanting to come along and help you. Just be open. Don't ever reject anything. And even if someone's rejected you, they've come back later to work with you. Mm. Take it on board. And I think it's when people start letting their ego get in the way, thinking mm -hmm. they're better than someone, that's when they don't succeed. Exactly. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think being clear on that intent having manageable goals too often people have got these huge goals and because they look so insurmountable they don't even attempt that first step but it is about chunking down making manageable steps that you can just keep moving 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 and that's what i would say make those small steps manageable actionable so that you can gain the confidence the motivation yes. to keep going yeah i mean that's one of the things that you when you and i have met upon a number of times and we've mm. talking about things when i've said to you like oh, i'm doing this and, and you've gone to me well you know have you thought about this and have you thought but you're thinking about the baby steps to that process it's like yeah. when you were you're at school and you used to do maths and do you remember when they used to have those 10 units mm. and you had the single units you've got mm -hmm. to remember to do the single unit work to get to a 10 unit 
exactly. then get to a hundred unit. But a yeah. lot of people don't look at the baby steps. They look at the end goal and think that's all I want. But then you're thinking mm. also what choices have you made in life? Because mm-hmm. when I was writing this book, there wasn't a number of times I had to say no to my friends. And when I was running the marathon, I had to say no to my friends. I can't go out tonight with you because I've got to be in bed by a certain time. Because I'm yeah. going to be getting up at 5.30, 5, 5.30 in the morning to run 12 and a half miles before I get to work. Mm. So if I need to be disciplined, I've got to learn to say no to people. Yeah. And the same thing happened when I was writing the book. You know, I wanted to get so many, um, like, say, 7,000 words a month done, as well as holding a full-time job, as well as having that quality time with family and friends and balancing everything out. And to do mm-hmm. that, I had to say no sometimes and say, no, I can't go out with you. I can't mm. hang out with you. I've got to be disciplined to stay in to, to get the work done. So mm-hmm. a lot of people don't want to do the work, but they want to be a part of the hype. Yes. And the hard work is behind the scene, not on the forefront. Of course. You hear that so often. That's one of the biggest things that you've got to remember. If you put the work in, you say no to people around you and just focus on yourself. And this is when you're focusing on yourself. You don't care about the noise around you. And if someone is saying something negative about you because you're so busy in your own life. Cal, tell me something. I mean, you know, you've had this amazing journey. Like I said, numerous times you, it's inspirational. You know, just to hear it over and over again, it's just, honestly, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm really hoping that whoever listens to you and hears your story is inspired to take action or whatever that action might be for them. Looking back at your journey, what, what's been your highlights? I know you've had the, you've had a platform on TED, you've won awards, you've been in, involved in policy change, and obviously you're an author. What's been your real highlight? I think my real highlight through this whole process has been where I am, when I get other people that turn up to events or there's been a point where I can use a couple of examples, like I use the one where there was this, I did an event with the West Midlands police and there was a girl, there was a group of women from a hostel. And when they saw my short film and then they saw my um, me do my talk, at the end, one mm-hmm. of them, who's a survivor, a victim, came up to me and I'm a survivor. And she came up to me and the first thing she did was she couldn't even get a word. Is that right? Because she said to me, she went, mm. how long would it take for me to get where I am to where you are? And it was so powerful up until now. I've never broken down. I Mm. actually broke down that day because I didn't have the words what to say to her. And I remember Mm. saying to her, I can't tell you how long your journey is going to take, but I can say this much. Mine took me eight years to get me here. Mm. And I goes, and, you know, people put a time limit thinking, if I don't get in the first year or second year, that's it, I'm giving up on something. Mm. And persistency gets you somewhere in consistency. And what happened was I said to her, all I can say to you is one day you're going to be where I am. I don't know mm. if it's six months, I don't know if it's two years or three years or five years, but mm-hmm. you will be here. I can guarantee you that. And yeah. I guess, but your journey is different to my journey. So mm. don't compare your journey to someone else. But I think it's so, for me, these are my greatest achievements. And then also I contribute to like where I did my first talk with the West Midlands Police and there was an officer called Tony Parker and I spoke up and then he, there was a, a policy um, called public protection on 1897. Mm. And through that policy, now you can prosecute dairy abuse. And that came from me doing my first public talk. You don't know how you're impacting someone's life or wow. triggering something in someone's life that now we're able to prosecute dairy abuse within the UK, all thanks to, you know, me doing that talk. And that's what I mean. You don't know how your voice or your journey is impacting mm. somebody else's life. You know, believe in yourself. Get out there. Do the work you need to do, whatever it is, to whoever's okay. listening to this. I'll say, get out there and do it. Because no matter how many people knock you down, you don't know how you're making a difference to someone's life. Cal, what's your next big goal? What's my next big goal? Do you know what, Rakesh? I don't have a next big goal, but I have 
things I want to do in life, like there's other changes I want mm. in life. May that be personally my journey where I would love to, at one point I'd love to settle down and have a family. And mm. then also there's, I want to contribute more to changing more policies to benefit and safeguard other people. That's okay. my biggest goal. Um, and I don't know how I'm going to do it right now. All mm. I know is there's a number of things in the pipeline that projects I want to do, but I've yeah. just, I'm working on them and working towards that. And that's it. The one thing, as you've said that, you don't know how you're going to do it. I'm reading this book at the moment. I've recommended it to a few. I've recommended it on another podcast as well. Who, not how. Sometimes we get so involved in how we need to do something. Yeah. And actually, it's about finding who can do it for us. Who can we leverage to help us accomplish what we want to accomplish? So that yeah. possibility that that's maybe an avenue you can explore down the line as well. Yeah. Also, this is another thing. Because I remember when I first started up, I reached out in my circle. So I say mm. this to people, look in your circle first around your circle of your friends and family who can help you out when you're thinking of doing a project. And if they mm. won't help you out, don't even take offense. Don't First of all, don't expect anything. And if they don't help you, then that, that, that means then you're now having to step out of your comfort zone to look in another circle. And that's mm. what happened with me, Rakesh. I got a lot of rejections, including family and friends. And I'll be honest, I then was like, okay, if you don't want to help me, that's fine. I'm going to look into another circle. And if anything, I got more from outsiders than what I got from my own. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, ex- again, because I wasn't expecting anything I got above and beyond and I got if those people rejected me I got better people that came along in their place to give me more of course that's going to happen that's it yeah and you know one thing I'd say that I really want to leave with my life experience I want to say always remember this this is one quote I have stuck up in my room I've had it for the last 10 years and I'm going to say this I am not a product of my circumstances I'm a product of my decisions so you've got to learn to take responsibility in life of what you want, how you want to achieve it, and you'll be that product then. Cal, honestly, it's been absolutely amazing to have you on. I've had goosebumps as you've told me those stories. Uh, it's an inspiration, and you know this is what this podcast is all about. It's second successes and, uh, and an inspiration to all. So thank you very much for your time. No, thank you for having me, Rakesh. And all care. the best. Thank you. Take care. Bye. It was wonderful to speak with Cal. A very inspirational story. And one caveat for those of you listening, Kelbeer decided of her own accord to stop medication. Please note that this disclaimer that it is not okay for everybody, and I would always advise to take medical guidance before changing your medication. Kelbeer mentioned that she's been recognised on a lot of platforms for her work. She was the winner of the 2018 Asian Women of Achievement Award in the Social and Humanitarian category. That same year, she became an ambassador for the Women of the Future Ambassadors Programme, sponsored by Lloyds Bank and working with six formers. And she continues in this role today. For International Women's Day, 2018 Glamour magazine recognised Calbeer as one of the most inspirational women from around the UK. ICRO recognised Calbeer for a True Honour Award in March 2017 for taking a stand against honour-based violence. The Sikh Network team recognised 350 Sikh women in 2017, including Calbeer as an inspirational role model to others and the next generation in the human rights category. Finally, Calbeer was one of 100 women to be recognised for a Lift Effect Star Award in 2017 for making a difference in the community. Going from being unable to move to doing a marathon to now being an author, speaker and a changemaker, Calbeer has shown that it took discipline, manageable goals and the right intent. And as she mentioned, giving up nights going out that she would be better prepared for her training in the morning was the same kind of discipline that ensured that she completed her book. What's something that you want to achieve but are struggling to get done? Is it your discipline? Have you not identified the small tasks needed or have you not figured out your purpose or intent? Do reach out, let's have a chat and we can try and figure out a way forward. 
This week, I want to leave you with a clip from a movie called Rudy. And it's about not giving up, not allowing others to define you. Hey, 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 hey. What you doing here? Don't you have practice? Not anymore. I quit. Oh. Well, since when are you the quitting kind? I don't know. I just don't see the point anymore. So you didn't make the dress list. There are greater tragedies in the world. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad to prove to everyone that I worked... what? That I was somebody. Oh, you are so full of crap. You're five feet nothing. A hundred and nothing. And you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land for two years. And you're also going to walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. And after what you've gone through, if you haven't done that by now, it ain't gonna never happen. Now go on back. I'm sorry I never got you to see your first game in here. Hell, I've seen too many games in this stadium. I thought you said you never saw a I've game. I've never seen a game from the stands. You were a player? I rode the bench for two years. Thought I wasn't being played because of my color. I got filled up with a lot of attitude. So I quit. Still not a week goes by, I don't regret it. And I guarantee a week won't go by in your life. You won't regret walking out, letting them get the best of you. You hear me clear enough? Thank you for listening to the Second Success Podcast. I'm Dr. Rakesh Rana, The Clear Coach.